And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab told, Jezreel all, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Tim. Uh, Let me add a welcome myself. Uh, If you are new here, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. And I do want to uh, actually echo Tim's encouragement to you um, to invite Naya into your home for a dinner, a meal together as someone who was a resident myself and came to this place. I didn't even come to Christ Community New. I had some history here. Um, But it's just such an encouraging thing for her, and that's our responsibility as, as a congregation for her as a resident. So I do encourage you um, to invite her over. That'll be a real, um, a real nurturing thing for her. Um, so before we jump into God's word, let me go ahead and pause and pray, because uh, we need help, God's help for this um, task. So would you again pray with me? Father, we are grateful that you are a speaking God, and this is in vain. This preaching is in vain unless you speak, um, unless you are the one that is changing our hearts and minds. So I pray, as I always pray, that where I say my own things, um, they'll be forgotten and quickly fall away. But where I speak your word after you, uh, I pray that you would, especially this morning, encourage and comfort those who desperately need it. We do it for the glory of your name this morning. Amen. Well, our family is about six weeks away from adding another little girl to the mix. Beth is due at the end of August, um, and we're starting to feel uh, the stress of that day as it sort of quickly approaches. Um, it, that it's, it's hard to believe that it's so close now, but this time three years ago, we would have uh, welcomed that stress with open arms. We were in a very different place. As a family, we've been married for about six years uh, and ready for kids. In fact, we had been trying uh, for two plus years with no success, um, no real answers. And our close friends and family members were supportive uh, and praying, not in desperation, um, but still asking for God to provide a child. And we were exploring different options that would at least just shed some light on things, but were growing weary uh, with every passing month. We were just tired. And some of you know, uh, some of you have been there, too. And then finally, it happened, right? uh, A positive test result that really had us over the moon. We, pure joy is the only way to describe um, that news. And gratitude for God for answering prayer. We knew that he was at work there. We were so thankful. We were thrilled for the future. Life was really good. And then as quickly as the joy came... It was turned to grief and confusion as we lost the baby early in the pregnancy. And I wasn't ready for what that would feel like. It was grief that caught me completely off guard. The new heights of joy after a long climb to the top, what it felt like the top, made the the deep valleys of loss just all the more painful. 
And the, the initial sadness and hurt would wear off, of course, right? We didn't stay sad forever. Life keeps going. And in fact, we have Evie now. What a beautiful gift. But as the heartache and the grief faded, at least in those first several weeks, a new feeling emerged. Disappointment. A lingering disappointment that for me stuck, it stuck with me like a shadow, a new companion that accompanied every other feeling. Disappointment with life, yes, with the way things had shaken out, but also with God. I just couldn't see what he was doing. I didn't know his plan. And you've been there, right? Maybe not like this, maybe not in that way, or maybe way worse. But you've been disappointed with God, haven't you? If you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, if you've lived long enough to glimpse the brokenness of this world, then of course God has disappointed you. Right? Disappointment happens when our expectations and reality don't line up. And we have such high expectations of God. Rightfully so. He is God. But maybe you're new at following Jesus. Maybe this is new for you. And you've heard that God is all loving. He's all wise. He's all powerful. He is perfectly good. He died for you. He came out of the ground alive for you. But your relationships are failing. Your job isn't what you thought it'd be. Your family's a mess. You can't make ends meet. You just got bad news from the doctor or you're lonely or just the normal meh of life. Expectations and reality. Disappointment. If we walk with God long enough, we will be disappointed. And there are times when you will feel like giving up or giving in or just quitting faith altogether, walking away, saying, I'm done with this. The light has gone out and you want to run to the wilderness. I know I've been there, at least in part, and I know I'm not the only one in this room for which that's true. We've been walking with Elijah this summer, a prophet in the Old Testament during one of the ugliest times for God's people. Right? Israel has rejected Yahweh, their God, and we're serving another God, Baal, a false God, as we saw last week. A God who demanded abuse, mutilation, child sacrifice, Evil, just pure evil, and God's people were doing these things, led astray by King Ahab and his peach of a wife, Jezebel. Get to her a little bit. And Elijah's one of those Bible heroes, isn't he? If you've been a Christian long enough to spend some time in the Old Testament, you know that Elijah rises to success, right? He could pray and God would answer him. He could pray and God would stop the rain for three years. He could pray. And a widow's son, a woman's son, would come back to life. He could pray and bring fire down from heaven. Our story last week, right? Elijah versus 400, 450 evil prophets. They plead with Baal to light the altar on fire. They scream and yell and cut themselves, and he does nothing. And Elijah taunts them, right? Remember, what's wrong? <laughs> You're a god after all, right? Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe, he's, maybe he just can't hear you. 
Nothing happens. Baal is weak and he's found out. And Elijah takes the altar, soaks the wood. The altar is dripping with water. And Elijah prays to God, Yahweh, the true God, our God. And boom, right? Even the stones are consumed. Nothing is left. And then the rains begin. The drought is over. The people are saved. It's going to be okay, right? That's where we leave the story from last week. Ahab sees it. Israel sees it. Yahweh is the true God. There is no other. Imagine Elijah in that moment. At the end of last week's story, imagine the relief, the excitement. His faith has finally been made sight. Expectations probably were never higher for what God was going to do with his people. And now we start in chapter 19, our story for this week. If you want to follow along, 1 Kings chapter 19. The expectations could not have been higher, but in reality, what happens? Nothing. Nothing changes. King Ahab races home, dripping wet, right? He's, been, he's in a storm like you've never seen before. God brings the rain. He walks in the door, dripping wet, and he tells Jezebel everything what's happened. It's like, yeah, 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 no, Baal did nothing. Baal was a no-show. Yahweh burned up the entire altar, though. See, it's raining outside. Yahweh did that. Elijah did that. Have you ever thought if God would just prove himself, if he'd just bring a sign that you would believe, right? If God would just show up in some really obvious way, you'd finally get it, or your friends would finally get it. You think it'd work, right? Well, not for Ahab and Jezebel. If anything, they walk away more committed to Baal than they've ever been before, even after God showed up at Mount Carmel. For me, it's a, it's a sign that we don't need signs. We need softer hearts. We are the same way, after all. See, Elijah here, he's ready for the, the victory lap. At the end, who can blame him, right? He's probably expecting Jezebel to come and apologize. Look, you were right. Yahweh's the true God. Look, we'll change. Israel will start worshiping, worshiping him exclusively again. And the message comes to Elijah from Jezebel. And I, maybe Elijah thinks, here it is, right? She's finally, she's going to apologize. Elijah, you were right. We'll change. It's not exactly the message that is sent to Elijah. More like, Elijah, you're a dead man. She says, May, may the things that happen to the prophets of Baal happen to me if they don't happen to you. It's kind of a confusing way of saying, I'm, I'm coming after you. You're a dead man. So he runs. He runs for the wilderness, the badlands of Israel. And you can't miss this in the story. And frankly, we don't need this story necessarily to know this is true. You already know if you walk with God, in your walk with God, sometimes God will fail your expectations. Unmet expectations will leave you disappointed. Sometimes God will fail our expectations. You believe God should do X. This is what I want, God. This is what I need. God, this is what you promised that you're going to do. And instead, he does nothing. Or what feels like nothing. Or he actually does Y instead of X. And you can't figure it out. We're left wondering, did I do something wrong? 
Did I miss the memo somewhere? God, don't you love me? Why, God? And I think sometimes the closer you are to God, the more it hurts. Like if you're not a Christian and something bad happens, you might be mad at God, but it's different. It's hard to be really upset with someone that you're not very close to. But if you know God, I mean really know him, walking with him, faithfully obedient, not perfectly obedient, obedient, but faithful. You've been following him for a long time, and then the bottom falls out. It almost hurts more, doesn't it? That's where Elijah is at this point. He is done. The light has gone out. If this is what following you looks like, God, I'm done. I've had enough. Was all of that just for nothing? Verses 3 and 4. It says, Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now. O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He says, I'm a failure. I'm no better than the prophets who tried and failed before me. Not good enough. See, sometimes we're disappointed because reality doesn't line up with our expectations, even reasonable ones of God, of others. But other times we find ourselves struggling with discouragement that is rooted in our own sense of failure. In your walk with God, sometimes you will just fail. And personal failure will leave you discouraged. Elijah's struggling here, and there is definitely disappointment with God. This isn't the way it was supposed to go. It's not what he bargained for. This isn't good enough. God, I thought you were supposed to come through. To turn the hearts of your people away from false worship and to yourself. But he's also discouraged because he feels like a failure. So much so that he heads for the hills, independent here actually of God's instruction. Everywhere else that we've seen Elijah move so far, it says the word of the Lord came to him. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Here he just runs. He's failed to really turn the hearts of God's people. He's no better than his father's. He gave it his all, and it wasn't good enough. Three of the most destructive words we can come to believe deep down inside are these, I'm a failure. It's a hard refrain for me to shake, to combat with real truth. I remember one moment vividly not long after I started here at Christ Community, um, as a resident, one of our jobs is to present uh, a sermon outline to the teaching team as part of our, as a jumping off point for our, our weekly collaborative meetings, and it was my week. I was relatively new. I don't remember how long after I started this was, but I gave it a shot, and it was awful. I, mean, I stumbled all over my words. Uh, I rambled nervously. It was like people didn't want to make eye contact with me. I just kind of looked down, you know. It's probably some heresy in there. I don't remember. <laughs> I blocked most of that memory uh, from my mind. But what I clearly remember is telling a friend this afterwards. 
I feel like I always need to be a little better than I am. It was actually a culmination for me of a months-long struggle of believing that I didn't have what it, t- what it takes. That I'm not good enough, that I'll be tested and found wanting, that I'm one mistake away from being exposed. I'm a failure. That's Elijah under the broom tree. And that may be some of you here this morning. Disappointed with God and discouraged by your failure. And Elijah, he is on the brink of despair. Look at verse 4 again. And he asked that he might die, saying, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. He says, I'm finished. It was all for nothing. It's no use. God, would you just, just do me a favor and just kill me already? Some of you have prayed that, and I'm sorry. Or maybe it hasn't gotten that far for you. I pray it hasn't. But you're not alone. Did you know that Moses prayed for death? Job, Jonah, Elijah, King David wrote psalm after psalm after psalm, asking, how long? How long, O Lord? How long will I have to eat my own tears? All crying out in anguish, God, where are you? Why have you left me here? Why did you let me fail? Why haven't you come through? How long, O Lord? It stinks, but you are in good company. Sometimes God fails our expectations. Sometimes we will just fail ourselves. We will feel like failures. And sometimes God's people are tempted to despair. Sometimes we're tempted to despair. We think the the future is hopeless. The feeling that it's all been a waste. There's no light at at the end on the other side. It's not worth the struggle. Everything will not be okay. Now, one of the things I love about the Christian story is that it's so honest about this. We're never told just to suck it up. Ah, just get over it. It's not that bad. Everything's going to be okay in the end. We're never told just to put on a brave face, pretend that everything's going to be fine. God doesn't expect us to hide our feelings, even in our prayers. His response to Elijah isn't, well, just, just man up, Elijah. Just trust me more. He's not rebuked for praying the way that he prays here. In fact, nearly half of the Psalms, the Bible's prayer book, half of the Psalms are laments. More than any other style of prayer, prayers of of grief, of doubt, of fear, of suffering, of questioning, of disappointment, discouragement, and and even despair. It's probably why in every Bible that I own, it just plops open to the Psalms. Not only does God invite these prayers from us, he actually gives us the words. He gives us words to express these deep feelings. No other religion does that. No other faith is so honest. G.K. Chesterton said this, 
I found only one religion which dared to go down with me into the depths of myself. So have you told God how you feel? In your deepest, in your moments of deepest disappointment or discouragement or even despair, he can take it. You know, you don't have to hide from him. He already knows, and he wants you to express it to him. You might even find just a little more trust there if you do. And I know when the light goes out, the last thing you want to do is to pray, but you have to tell him. And if you, if you find yourself in a place of despair, don't carry it alone. We want to help. We want to carry it with you. You won't find a prayer more honest than this one. God, would you just kill me already? Now think of all the prayers of Elijah that God has already said yes to. In the New Testament, Elijah is set up as as the example of the person who prays and gets what he wants. But not here. God has said yes, yes, yes. But to this prayer, God says no. In fact, ironically, Elijah will be one of the few people in all of Scripture to never die. God never answers this prayer for Elijah. Jezebel has sent an Elijah, sent to Elijah a messenger of death, and now God sends Elijah an angel, a messenger of life. Look at verses 5 and 6. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. So disappointed, discouraged, even despairing, Elijah prays for death, and God gives him a nap and a snack. (laughs) Basically treats him like a toddler, right? It sounds like yesterday afternoon in our house. If a toddler is melting down, you give them a snack and then a nap, right? But God's not being patronizing here. He's a good father, just like good parents give their children what they need in those moments. Even when it's as simple as a little food and a little rest, God is a good father here. He knows we're just human, right? Creatures, dependent, fragile, even Elijah. He's not a superhero. We need And so God gives. He doesn't give Elijah what he wants here, but he does give him what he needs. And he does, in fact, know what's best. Look again at verse 7. See his tenderness. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. God says, I know. This journey is too much. You're right, Elijah. It's too hard. You can't do this. You are too weak. You can't do it on your own. The journey ahead is too great for you. God wants to say the same thing to many of us. Friends, what you're facing right now, or will one day face when it all hits the fan, it's too great for you. Your infertility, your struggling marriage, your loneliness or depression, your failing body or your spouse's failing body, your addictions and temptations, your struggles at work, raising children, caring for aging parents, doing both at the same time, 
It's too great for you. We were never meant to have such fragile bodies. We were never meant to carry such wounded souls. Sin and death were never meant for this world. And you and I were never meant for for a journey so great. God knows it's too much for you. So now what? Recognizing it's too much, does God just give up on Elijah? I'll go find someone else, someone with a little stronger faith, someone who can actually do this. No. Listen, unmet expectations will leave you disappointed. Failure will leave you discouraged. And chances are, sometimes you will feel like you have nothing left but your own despair. But God will never leave you. Never does God give up on us. God shows up. He tells him no. The answer to Elijah's prayer is no. He feeds him. He gives him a nap twice. Then he sends him on his next mission. Listen, your disappointment, your discouragement, even your despair, it doesn't disqualify you. There may be times when you feel like you might be done with God, but he is not done with you. He still has work for Elijah. He still has work for you. So, listen, if you just take one thing away this morning, I hope it's this. God will let you suffer. He may even take you there. But he will never leave you. Will that be enough? For Elijah, it was. He goes, even though very little would change. Ahab and Jezebel are not going to learn. Israel is not going to change, not yet. Elijah will never see what he's working for. But he knows that God is with him. And listen, that doesn't, that doesn't fix everything. It doesn't fix your circumstances. It, doesn't fix, it didn't fix Israel. But one day, God wouldn't just send a prophet. One day, it wouldn't just be an angel, a messenger who comes to give life. God himself would actually show up here with us. Which means our God doesn't just know that the journey is too great in theory. He doesn't just know as an observer of his creation. He doesn't just just know in theory that the journey is too great or that life is too broken. He has lived it. Whatever you feel, Jesus has felt. Betrayal, abandonment, disappointment, temptation, loss, even death. He knows. He knows what it's like to pray and be told, too. We covered that not too long ago. Jesus agonized with God in the garden, pleading with him that the cup would pass, right? Elijah here pleads for death, but was given life. Jesus, he pleads for life. He says, let this cup pass from me. It is too much. But willingly, he receives death. That we might live. Jesus, in fact, was abandoned by his father, right? He says, my God, from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? 
He was forsaken so that you and I would never have to be abandoned by God. God will never leave you. And imagine the weight of the cross. Imagine feeling in, in a single moment every disappointment of your life all at once, every bit of loneliness, fear, depression, illness, all at once, every hurt from another person, every despair, every bit of shame and guilt and regret. Imagine feeling all of that for your entire life in a single moment. It would crush you. Elijah under the broom tree, this is nothing compared to Jesus hanging on the cross. But that's what he did. He took all of our ugliness. He felt it all as he hung on the cross. The light of the world snuffed out. So no matter what you feel, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how disappointed or discouraged or despairing, if we believe in the cross, we can never doubt God's love for us. Not really. But he didn't just suffer with us. He promises to remove it all. Right, to bear it himself. And he rose again to one day make all the sad things come untrue. Once and for all. To restore everything that's been broken, to make it new. Listen, the journey is too great for you, it's too great for me, but it is not too great for him. He longs to walk with you, yoked with you. And when you can no longer walk, he longs to walk for you. God will let you suffer. He will even take you there, but he will never leave you. Will that be enough for you? Of course, none of this is resolved for Elijah. He doesn't know what's next, good or bad. Yet, verse 8, he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to the mount of God. Let's pray. Father, many of us are in all of those places this morning of disappointment and discouragement and even despair as we are following you. There are places where we don't know what you're doing. We are discouraged by our own failure and tempted to despair. And yet, God, I, I pray that even as, even as you don't offer a quick fix for any of those things, you do meet our deepest needs, and you, are, you promise to always be with us. Thank you that we have a rescuer who has walked, walked in our shoes And has taken our place. I pray even now as we continue to worship that we would commit our lives to Jesus, the one who didn't just sit under a broom tree for us, but hung on a cross and rose again. I pray this in his name. Amen.